Romans is the longest and therefore the first listed in your Bible of Paul's letters. comes right after the book of Acts. We're going to be looking at a text near the end of Paul's letter. Like all of Paul's letters, Romans is divided up basically into two broad parts. The first is Paul's teaching on who God is and who we are and what God has done. And then the second is our response to that and how we are to live according to the truth that is revealed in God's Word. And this morning we will be looking at one particular truth, a truth that is difficult often for many of us to understand and to live by. So if you would please give attention to the reading of God's holy word. This is the word of the Lord. It is completely without error. It is completely sufficient. And yes, it is completely authoritative. Romans chapter 13 Verses 1 through 7. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For the same reason, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes, to whom taxes are owed. Revenue, to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor, to whom honor is owed. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we ask that you would teach us from your word. But we also ask, O Lord, that by the power of your spirit, that you would equip us to obey your word. For we cannot do it in our own strength. Help us, O Lord. This we ask in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, this is the second installment in our series on Christian living in a post-Christian world. And by a post-Christian world, we mean a world that in a sense has reverted back to New Testament times. There was a time when The truth of the Bible was taken for granted. Maybe it wasn't believed or obeyed, but it was taken for granted in the public square. It was actually 
a helpful, efficient thing to be involved in a church. Even if one didn't believe the truths that were propounded there, it was a good place for business. It was a good place to obtain a good name in the community. And now church is so, so yesterday. It's not that in the world today the claims of Jesus Christ are rejected. We've had to modify the way that we do evangelism because when you begin to speak about Jesus to others, they say, who's he? They don't even know who he is. And this puts us on a plane with the disciples of the New Testament era. In a world that did not know God or was hostile to God. And there are wonderful opportunities in the midst of this to shine, as we saw last night, like a city on a hill, to be salt that prevents the world from decaying, to be salt and light. We're going to look this morning at another aspect of this, an aspect that I think hits very close to home for conservative, Bible-believing, Reformed Christians. It's about submitting to authority. If we look around in the world, our world thrives on rebellion, doesn't it? Every time we turn on the television, there is a sit-in or a movement or a protest or a, a peaceful revolution going on. Sometimes it appears to work for good. Other times, what follows appears to be worse than what was before. But just even now, we see it in our own cities, in, in Occupy Wall Street movements. We see it in cities in Europe. We see it in countries all across the globe. Even now, as we sit here, there are protesters sitting in squares in Egypt and in Turkey and in Tunisia. How does the Christian respond and act in a world that thrives on rebellion? What is the Christian's response to government, especially to a government that seems hostile to the truths that we hold dear. Well, there's good news for you and for me. Paul lived in such a world. And Paul received direct revelation from the living God. And Paul wrote it down for us. And it was preserved. So we don't need to guess. We don't need to take a poll. We don't need to come together and reason. We simply need to look at the inerrant, infallible Word of God and get our direction. Now, I will say to you, though, applying the Word of God is not as easy as reading the Word of God. And so there are some tricky situations and applications here that we will look at as well. But in the main, we will be looking at three things. We will be looking first that God establishes authorities. We have to remember that. The authorities that exist are established by God. And then secondly, God is active in the world. God uses authorities. They're not independent of Him. They're not spinning out of control. And the third and most challenging thing is that God expects respect for authorities. God establishes authorities. God uses authorities. And He expects respect for authorities. So let's begin then at the beginning of chapter 13 in which we see that God establishes authorities and He lets us know this by a very clear command. Look with me at verse 1. 
Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Doesn't the the Apostle Paul just annoy you? He does this all the time to me. He makes these statements and they're universal and they're broad and I can't find myself a loophole. He doesn't say, let mature Christians. Then I can say, well, I'll be immature today. He doesn't say, let men or let women or let children. He doesn't say, let Christians who will follow my lead. No, he says, let everyone. So everyone in this room has that clear command. Whether this morning you know Jesus Christ by faith or not, you must understand this command comes to you from your Creator. From the one who fashioned you marvelously and wonderfully, with great purpose. Every human being has value as created in the image of God and that value comes from God. And as such, we must honor the Lord and see this command that is clear. We must begin here. I must say that far too often I am tempted, and I know you are, to begin with a subject like this with the loophole. Well, I don't want to do this I need to find myself a loophole. When I was living another life as a corporate attorney, we would conduct transactions and we would know that we would not want to pay taxes on a certain thing. And so we would start with the principle of we're not going to pay this. Let's find the rule that allows us not to pay it. It's a different way of starting. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't take advantage, as we'll see in just a bit, of legitimate, lawful means to reduce our taxes, but we don't begin with the principle that I resist. We begin with the principle of I'm under authority. When Paul says that we are to be subject to the governing authorities, it's a very specific thing that he is saying. This is not a slavish, unthinking subjection to the powers that be. It doesn't mean we turn off our minds that we cease to speak out, that we cease to ask questions, that we do whatever we're told, whenever we're told it. No, it means that we are under authority. You must understand this, especially young people. Authority is a part of the world. I know that some of you that are very young cannot wait for the day when you are just old enough and you can go out on your own and you can drive and you can be free. Except for talk to your friends. You're not, are you? You still have a curfew. You still have to pay car insurance. You still have to buy gas. But then it, wait, 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 no. As long as I can get to the day where I've graduated from college and I have my job and I'm married and I'm ahead of my own household, then I can be free. Except for talk to the older people. You have this thing called a job. And you have people over you. And guess what? They tell you when to come in and when to leave. It's, it's kind of like a curfew. And then you say, no, 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 no. I guess I'll just have to wait to the point till I get retired. Then no one will be in charge of me. My father just retired. It's interesting to watch this interaction from a distance. There there still is authority. You still have to submit. You can't 
Divorce yourself from the nation. Divorce yourself from the mayor. Divorce yourself from your community. We are never living as isolated people on islands. We are always under authority. And God has established this authority. And it is not to press us down. It is to give order to the universe. This is why he gives commands in Ephesians 5 and in Colossians 3 that wives are to be subject to their husbands. It doesn't mean they are to be slaves. It doesn't mean that they are to be gophers. It means there is a ranking of authority. And just as wives are to be subject by advising their husbands, by being active, by loving, so we are to be active in our subjection to the authorities. We're to take ownership of this. Unless you think this is something that is just meant to keep people down. Our Lord Jesus Christ is under authority. In Luke chapter 2, verse 51, he went down with his parents and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them, Luke tells us. The exact same word that Paul uses here in Romans 13.1. You see, it's not about intrinsic value. It's about order in society. And we are to be subject to these governing authorities that God has established. Now, I want you to let your eyes go up just a little bit from Romans 13 and see the context of this passage. And the context of this passage is that we are to submit to God. Do you see in verse 19 of chapter 12, we are never to avenge ourselves, but we are to leave wrath to God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The context of this command is God is ultimately in charge. It is not your job to set the world right. Everyone can take a collective side. Because we're not able to set the world right. No matter how much you lobby, no matter how much you write, no matter how much you talk, you will not, you will not set Katie right. Let alone the United States. Let alone the world. But the good news is that's not your job. That's God's job. I also want you to see the next verse in Romans 12. It tells us if our enemy is hungry, we are to feed him. If he is thirsty, we are to give him something to drink. We are not to be overcome by evil, but to overcome evil with good. You see, the context here is that the Christian is to live a life contrary to the world. And that is not just against the world, hostile to the world. That is to live a life that is so completely different from what is out there that people look and they say, why are you so different? That guy did you wrong. Why don't you beat him up? That person lied to you. Why don't you spread spread bad rumors about them? You see, it's an opportunity to show that we have been changed. This is the context of this. The second thing that we see is that all authority comes from God. We see this in verse 2. Paul says, For there is no authority except from God. Here he goes again. There's no loophole. Not one, Paul? Seriously? How about Nebuchadnezzar? Nope, from God. How about Xerxes? Nope, from God. Wait a minute, Paul. Wait a minute. You never met our president. You never met my congressman. You never met my mayor. Paul says it doesn't matter. Every authority that there is is established by God. 
Are you willing to gainsay that? Because you have to think through the consequences of that. If there is someone in authority that is not established by God, that means they're independent of God. That God's not in control of them. That God's not over them. That somehow they snuck out the back door, put themselves in authority and said, Ha ha, God, I'm in charge. That's worse than saying, Someone I'm not very fond of is in authority and God's placed them there. I'm going to side with God's in charge. Because he's the one that I know and can trust and love. You see, Paul is not explaining what he means by this statement that we are to be subject. He says God is the one who delegates the authority and he does not allow us to pick and choose. He has authority in place for our good. Now, does that mean that every ruler who has ever ruled is the best possible ruler and we should be happy that God has placed them in authority over us? No. Sometimes people are put in authority over us as a means of judgment. Sometimes wicked men are put in authority over us to suit God's ends. Just one example from the Scriptures. God allowed a wicked, corrupt man to be his high priest at the time of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ so that he would be used to bring about the greatest good that this world has ever known, the atonement in the sacrifice of Jesus. Do you think that there were Jews the month before, the year before, who whined and moaned and complained about the high priest? Of course there were. He's a cheat. He's a thief. He should never be in charge. We should kick him out. What's God doing? God must be completely out of control here. You see, we can't see all ends. God can. The other thing that we need to understand here is that those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. It is not the ideal state that God is in charge of. It is the actual state. It is not dependent upon our view of how good a government is. Because I have to tell you, virtually every government, in virtually every place, in virtually every time, has been horrible and wicked. There have been no golden ages. There have been no times in which all of God's laws have been passed and followed. But you see, this command, our obedience to God, is not dependent upon how good our government is. There's an illustration here, let me help you with, that will help us to see how if it depended upon us, it would drive us crazy. There is a doctrine about the sacraments that says that the sacraments are not dependent upon the goodness or the holiness of the person administering them. The value of baptism and the Lord's Supper are in God's command. So what that means is, when we serve the Lord's Supper, you don't have to worry about if I've had a fight with my wife. Or if I lied last week. Or if I really, truly, deeply believe. You don't have to go through these gut-wrenching thoughts when you go on vacation. Well, I don't know if I could possibly take the Lord's Supper there. I know it's a church, but I don't know that guy. I haven't been in his home. Maybe we could set up a camera and watch him for two or three days. 
You see, it would drive you crazy. Apply that in the area of submitting to the government. Do you know everything that goes on in the government? Now, that's laughable, isn't it? The government doesn't know everything that's going on in the government. Would you want that weight upon yourself? When would you know when the tipping point is between obedience and not? It would drive you insane. Praise the Lord, He's given us a clear directive that I can obey with clear conscience. That's my duty. I'm not responsible for the Supreme Court. I'm not responsible for a senator. I'm responsible for my life before a living God. And clarity helps, doesn't it? Parents, you know this with kids. The clearer you can make the rules, the clearer you can make the the commands, the easier it is for them to understand how to obey. Now, they may still not obey, but at least there's clarity there. This is God's established means for authority. Now, why has God done this? Is He playing some kind of cosmic joke on us that, you know, if only God wouldn't have given us authorities, if He wouldn't have given us all these wicked leaders, everything would be fine and hunky and dory. No. Paul tells us that God has given us these authorities for our good. Look at verse number 2. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. You see, God has established these rulers for our good. Stop and think about that for a minute. I know I've said that, and now you are rattling off in your mind a mental catalog of every bad, stupid, wicked, regulation, law, judicial decision that has ever come down. And now I want to remind you that when the Apostle Paul wrote these words, his governing authority was the Emperor Nero, who had picnics by lighting Christians on fire as torches, who murdered his own family members, who was one of the most wicked of wicked rulers. He's in the top ten. Bad Roman emperors? Google it. He's in the top ten. Well, I don't know if Google shows it up, so you may have to trust me. He's in the top ten. And it's not just Nero. The one before Nero was even worse. The one before Nero was so bad, his own guards murdered him to get him off the throne. Caligula was a man who made his horse a senator. All of a sudden... The Congress doesn't look so bad, does it? You see, God uses these authorities because He rules in the world. His law goes forth. His law goes forth in what we broadly call three main uses. The second use is to convict us of our sin and drive us to our need for a Savior. We see, as we saw this morning, all that is... All that is contained in one commandment and we say, we can't do this, not even for a day. We're lost. And God says, you're right. That's why I've given you Jesus. The third use is after we have been saved is God gives us these laws so we can know His will and how God wants us to behave and what is good for us. But the first use of the law is to restrain sin in the world. I know there are times when you think the world is dark. 
I know there are times when you think all is lost. But I have to ask you, why is it when you go into the grocery store and people don't daily murder each other? Why is it? You are going to expect to go out to the parking lot and find your car, aren't you? It may not be, but that would be the exception. And we would all be outraged that this would happen. You see, God's law and through governmental authorities stops anarchy from overspreading us. You have to understand that tyranny is bad, but the only thing worse than tyranny is anarchy. Could you imagine if there were no rules and no laws and everyone did what they wanted? Everything that upsets you about governments is related to them not following the law, not doing what is fair, not doing what is just. Could you imagine if it wasn't just a few people, but if it was everyone, everywhere, all the time? That would be horrific, wouldn't it? Why is the world not a living hell in spite of all of the sin of all of the people? It's because God in His good, kind providence has ordered the universe and given us governing authorities. Are they perfect? No. Are they even just all the time? No. Why? Surprise, they're sinners too. And many of them are sinners who don't know the Lord. They don't know His will. But you see, God uses these things so that we benefit from them. If we didn't have this, there would be no restraint at all on sin. And let me tell you what that includes, Christian. That means there would be no restraint from your sin. I would not like to live in a world where my sin went on unchecked and unrestrained. I praise the Lord that he bounds it. God uses these authorities because they are his servants. This is very interesting. These rulers who are terrors to to bad conduct, in verse 4 we see that he is God's servant for your good. You know what the word is there for servant? It's deacon. They are... Are God's servants, they work for Him in this realm. And the work of this kind of a servant is, is menial work. There's no glory for the servant in this work. This word deacon, my apologies deacons, comes initially from table waiter. And what it means is there's no honor that comes to self, the honor comes in the one who is served. And so the other thing that we need to realize as Christians when the government upsets us that in all of their majesty when nine justices in black robes walk in in somber and declare the way the world is we can say, well, you know what? You're really just filling water glasses for God. If I were you, I would be more concerned about how you stand before God than with how you think the world ought to be. And see, it puts the world in perspective to us. So we don't need to be afraid because we know there is one who is on our side who has written the way the universe is coded, who has established all authority in the world. And that is the living God. Paul gives a third reason 
for why we are to obey the authorities. The first is that they come from God. The second is therefore our good. And the third is conscience. Do you see this here? For therefore, one must be, in verse 5, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. Okay, you're not going to like this. To disobey the governing authorities is not just illegal. It's immoral. It's wrong. It's not just a matter of if I get away from it. You see, the big picture here is what we're looking at, and that is what is important. This world is passing away, and what happens is just the blink of an eye. And our relationship with God is what's critical. Now, there are important restrictions here. This does not, this biblical truth does not give Hitler authority to tell us to murder Jews. It doesn't. It doesn't mean we have to agree with every law that our government passes. It doesn't mean we have to be happy about it. And there are certain cases in which, in this structure, we must disobey the government. In Acts chapter 5, Peter says to his governing authorities, we must obey God rather than men. And remember, of course, the full quote from our Lord Jesus Christ that we are to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And so there are going to be times in which it is right to stand up. When, we are, when there is an attempt made to force us to do evil, to disobey the revealed will of God. This is happening every day in our nation. It's a scourge called abortion. We must stand against the culture. We must say that no matter the fact that some people think it is legal, no matter what the poll numbers say, there's only one poll that counts. We poll God and He tells us what is true and right. It also comes when we are being forced to say evil is good, not just to participate, but to say evil is good. Our world is changing, isn't it? Faster than you might think. But let me tell you, before I rip Romans 1 out of my Bible and refuse to preach on what God says is a sin, I will go to prison. And if the governing authorities put me into prison, then that's where I will go. And I will trust that vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. But you see, I will not compromise biblical principles and you should not either when we are called to say that evil is good well there's a third thing that Paul tells us in this text and it is the hardest and hits closest to home and that is that God expects respect for authorities and the very first thing that he does is he tells us it's not just lip service you know what lip service is, don't you? Oh, sure, I'll do that. Oh, yeah, sure. And we walk away and leave it undone. No, Paul says, forgive the pun, put your money where your mouth is. That's what Paul says. You see, the Christian life is never just theoretical. And he gives a very strong example here. 
In verse 6, he says, for the same reason. And the Greek there is very emphatic. It's almost like Paul is raising his voice up an octave. He says, you must walk the talk. And he hits us exactly where it counts, doesn't he? In the wallet. He says, for this reason, you must pay taxes. Now, lest you think, but Paul, you don't know how bad our taxes are. You don't know how many taxes we have. The word here for taxes is actually a word that is used for tribute. It is a tax imposed by a conquering army upon a subject nation. This is not a fun tax. This is the kind of tax that comes when the army comes to town and they take everything out of your house that is not nailed down. That's the flavor of this word. And so again, Paul leaves us no ability to find the loophole here. It requires us to depend on God because you see, we must part with something that we have worked hard for that we count as our security simply because God has placed this authority over us. And you see, this is all built and a part of God's purpose. Taxes are necessary for the government's duty. And we are not called to a selective obedience over this. What do I mean by that? You cannot decide that you think electric cars are inefficient. And so therefore, you won't pay the portion of the taxes that go to that. It's a law that's been passed. Guess what? Romans 13, 1 applies. You can't say, you know, I don't really think that we should have expanded this road. I like the country feel of this road. I don't want to spend this money. Guess what? You pay your taxes. It's a legitimate authority. Now, that doesn't mean that we need to lose the authority that God has given to each of us in our nation. Perhaps the greatest nation ever on the history, on the face of the earth. We actually are part of the governing authorities. We have the ability to, to set our rulers, to elect them, to vote for them. We have the ability to speak out and to influence the debate with our freedoms of speech and of gathering and assembly. And Romans 13 does not annul that. But what it does mean is at the end of the day, after the votes are tallied, whoever wins is the president, is the senator, is the congressman, is the mayor. And we don't need to despair. We don't need to act like the world is over. Because no matter who wins whatever election, God is still in charge. This is important for us. It's an important distinction. Paul concludes with something. Because you see, it's not just that we can't have lip service. We have to have a respect that comes from the heart. It's not just about coercion. You see, the authorities can coerce us to support them. That's what taxation is. What happens if you don't pay your taxes? Bobby will tell you. The first thing is you get a nasty letter. The second thing is you get a really big fine. The third thing is they throw you in the clink. Taxes are not optional to our government or any government ever. 
And you see, Paul says it's not just about doing what you need to do to stay out of jail. You need to actually have respect. Don't act like children. You know what children do, don't you? You tell them to obey and they do it only to get you off their back? No. We are called to have respect for our government and respect and honor for our leaders. Now, why is this? This is challenging, isn't it? It's always been challenging. Let me tell you. It was challenging in the 60s. It was challenging in the 40s. It was challenging in the 20s. You should read some of the political ads from the early 1800s. It is always challenging. We always think we can do better, don't we? If only they put me in charge of the EPA, I would know what I was doing. Now, in some instances, that's not so hard to do better than somebody else. But we need to be careful about thinking that we have all the answers. Would you have done better in the Garden of Eden than Adam? Would you have done better by the fire than Peter? You see, I think if we think that, we don't understand the depth of our own heart. There's also a sense in which respecting the authority of a government over us provides us with a wonderful tool for evangelism. It gives us a testimony to the evil of sin. That without government, life would be even worse because nobody can be trusted. It gives us an ability to testify to others because all of life is about authority. How do you convince your children to respect your authority when you don't respect respect authority over you? You see, there's a final thing, too, that cuts close to home. It's a reminder of the gospel in our own lives because it reminds us that we are under authority. We can't escape it. No matter what we do, God is our sovereign creator. And he's given us a daily reminder, even in some of the annoying things that our government does, that he's in charge ultimately. And that that's for our good. I'm not calling you to be Pollyanna this morning. I'm not telling you to walk out and say, everything is dandy. I'm so glad everything has worked out the way it has. But I am saying that it is not for the Christian to say, you know, because this decision came down, the world is over. Because this law was passed, all hope is lost. The church will never go on. Because that's not what God's word says. He declares to us that he's in control. And that we can trust him. We don't need to trust our government. We trust the one who has appointed all authority in the universe. Let's pray.